This interview of Wisdom from the Top was recorded in 2020. From Luminary and Built It Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, Andrea Jung, former CEO of Avon and current CEO of Grameen America. I remember Steve Jobs, one of the things he always said was, you know, fail forward. If you don't fail, you're not risking enough. Yeah. But if you make the same mistake twice, then you haven't learned from it. So many of the best successes come from learning from the failures. Lessons from 20 years of running organizations that empower women by supporting them as entrepreneurs. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Back in the mid-1970s, an economist in Bangladesh named Muhammad Yunus was trying to figure out an efficient way to help alleviate the crushing poverty he witnessed in his country. Yunus knew from his research that small businesses might be the solution, especially for women. It was almost impossible for women to get bank loans to start a business. So Yunus created what's come to be known as Grameen Bank. It's a bank that provides microloans to impoverished borrowers for them to use to start a business. The idea won Eunice the Nobel Prize in 2006. Today, Grameen operates around the world, including in the U.S., and over 97% of the loans they make are to women. The head of the U.S. operation is Andrea Jung, which makes sense because Andrea's been involved in helping to establish women entrepreneurs her entire career. Andrea joined Grameen in 2014 after 13 years as CEO at Avon, the direct sales cosmetics company. At one point, she was considered to be one of the three most powerful people in the beauty industry. Andrea's tenure was marked by incredible growth and success, but also by declining revenue and some tough structural challenges. But as you will hear, it was those hard experiences that helped her figure out what kind of leader she wanted to be. Andrea grew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Her parents were immigrants from China. And even though she was the only Asian kid in school growing up in the 60s and 70s, her parents instilled her with a strong sense of cultural pride at home. Luckily, I, you know, I was raised with very proud parents who really taught us to be enormously proud of our heritage. 
I remember in the fourth grade, we went to a paper plant and came home proclaiming uh, how extraordinary it was to watch paper Mm. being manufactured. And I remember my parents saying, well, you know that paper came from China. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we had neighbors who were Italian and we used to run over there on Friday evenings to have spaghetti and meatballs and come home because mostly we had rice. And my parents Mm. would say, but wait a minute, Marco Polo brought pasta back from China. (laughs) And so, you know, we grew up where everything fantastic (laughs) was innovated (laughs) by the Chinese over the long course of history. Uh, So we we were taught to be very, very proud of our heritage. And that is a gift that my parents gave us from a very early age. And I don't think that goes away. Do they have high expectations for you? I mean, did you, were you expected to go to university and be the best student and be you know, do a prestigious (laughs) job and all those things. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much written about tiger parents. Uh, I was raised by an extraordinarily brilliant woman who believed that women and girls could do anything that boys could do and Mm. that, you know, education was hugely important. So both my parents came here to get an education. Um, They expected the same. And so we, we were very fortunate to be able to, to have that opportunity. You um, studied English, I read, at Princeton. And you went... To do what? What did you decide to do? I started at a training program in marketing and merchandising at Bloomingdale's department stores Hmm. when I got out of college. In New York? In New York City. I I just was, so it wasn't like I had this passion for fashion merchandising and this was always my dream. Yeah. But I had friends who had participated in the training program and said, no matter if you pursue a career in retail or not, it's a really incredible training program. And the fundamentals that you'll learn, you'll take with you anywhere. Yeah. It was lower paying than some of the other jobs that Princeton grads were getting. When we got out of college, it was paying less than $10,000 a year in New York City. And I remember Thanksgiving of the very first year. So just two plus months after I started, I was working in a stockroom, changing hangers in the basement and thinking, I have this Ivy League degree. Yeah. I, this is not what I want to do in my life. So I remember calling my parents and saying, you know, I'm thinking of quitting. Hmm. There was silence on the phone. And I remember my mother said, quit? You don't quit. You have to start at the bottom, take the hard knocks. You're absolutely not quitting. Wow. Um, you know, I was sort of raised with the whatever you do, stick with it because you do learn more from some of the assignments and the grunt work that you don't like than than you do often from the assignments you love the most. Hmm. But it was a great training program. It was a great learning experience. Um, And I, what I always loved about it is that in the retail business, you can see the impact of decisions the next day. So you, you were, you know, really kind of begin a career in the fashion industry working. You ended up kind of moving up the the ladder at Bloomingdale's and then and then going to iMagnet. I mean, this was sort of the heyday and then eventually to Neiman Marcus. And I guess really in your early 30s, you, um, you decided to leave or you left Neiman Marcus and went to Avon. What's the story? What happened? It's really quite interesting, Guy, because when I look back, I, I wouldn't have traded my experience in retail. But as I moved to iMagnon and then Neiman Marcus, I mean, you really are just catering to a tiny percent of the population. Yeah. And then secondly, it was very, very domestic focused. And so I had never had a 
opportunity to work for a global company. And I think the concept of a very global company and the opportunity to really be able to be everybody's beauty brand, not just people who would spend $40 on a lipstick, made the decision to go to Avon uh, very appealing to me. So I made the switch uh, back at the end of 93, beginning of 1994, and it ended up being a life-changing thing for me being Hmm. at Avon. So Avon was really, I mean, this is, and and it's sort of hard to imagine today because the sort of the culture of door-to-door sales reps is kind of gone. Today, it's just less common. And when you got to Avon, that was the business model. It was door-to-door sales, but also parties, like Avon reps would have parties for friends to sell their products? Yes, I think that the way to think about it, that the way that the industry today, and this is beyond Avon, has morphed is two things. One, a combination of high touch and high tech. Websites have become integral. But secondly, the concept of door-to-door versus social selling, relationship selling are two different things. I mean, we always used to call Avon the original social network. Hmm. And there is still a role for relationships. There is still a role to have both, to be able to have somebody that you trust recommend a product. She could be someone that, you know, works with you, you know, and your school and is selling it, you know, at lunchtime. And, or it could be someone from your church or somebody from your neighborhood that you know. Yeah. So this concept of cold calling I think has morphed into true relationship selling where the trust is a very important factor. So when you got to Avon, I mean, the business model depended primarily on direct to consumer, what we call correct today, direct to consumer, which means something slightly different. Yes. But it was it was representatives around the world who would receive a commission based on the sales of, of yes. cosmetics they would make. Yes, I, I would say, though, that the one thing that I used to tell all of our employees worldwide and all of our sales associates was that, you know, what we really were selling was an earnings opportunity for women. Mm -hmm. You know, over 125 years ago, in 1886, the company was incepted by a very prescient man. He was a direct seller, door-to-door seller. And so where he was extraordinarily ahead of his time was he gave the first Avon lady, Mrs. P.F.E. Albee, the opportunity to work outside the home when that was heresy. And it was not a popular thought, but he was about equal opportunity for women, not just men, to actually earn their own money and get out of the home. Mm. And that really is the founding essence of Avon. And it still is today that it, it is obviously about women's products, but more importantly, it was about entrepreneurship opportunities, independent business opportunities for, you know, millions of people to actually help change their lives. I cannot tell you today, you know, 12 plus years after I've been gone from the company that people will come up to me and say, you know, my grandmother sold Avon yeah. and that that is how I got to go to, to school. Yeah. Serena Williams and Venus Williams, you know, again. They were spokespeople. You, I think you hired them. They were spokespeople, yeah. but not just to be spokespeople. I mean, the tennis lessons were paid for by Avon earnings. Mm. So there was an authenticity about what Avon did for yeah. families. We were in 140 countries, but just the power and the role of of women being able to earn. I will never forget. It was in 2011. Uh, we were going around the world and I was in a stadium with 5,500 women in Istanbul, Turkey. And 
one of these women got up on stage four years prior in her village, there had been an earthquake and they lost their home. Luckily, nobody was hurt, but the home was destroyed because of religious customs, et cetera. Her husband did not want her and did not allow her, so to speak, to work. Behind his back, she started to sell Avon and she stood on stage in front of these other 5,000 women and said, and in three years, I became the number one seller in the country. I paid for us to get a new home and all of our furnishings rebought. And I am the only woman in my village whose husband comes home and cooks dinner for me. And 5,000 women stood on their chairs and applauded her for 15 minutes. And that power, Guy, of inspiring others that economic independence, equal opportunity to earn, you know, it was such a powerful part of the Avon ethos and business model. You, I think it took about just six years for the time that you were hired as essentially a consultant to become chairman uh, and CEO of Avon. And I'm wondering, this is around 99 when you are appointed to those positions. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about that time and there's already significant disruption in the cosmetics market. And I wonder whether you at that moment looked around and said, all right, we've got to make some pretty significant changes. We can't just be the, you know, ding dong, uh, you know, Avon calling company. We really need to be in stores. We need to have brick and mortar. I mean, was that sort of uh, what, what, how you were thinking about things? Yes, I think I saw a different opportunity and a necessary bold set of transitions, both for the brand for the distribution channel, for um, the narrative around the importance of economic empowerment for women. I mean, I knew that there was an extraordinary opportunity, but we had to pretty much shed a lot of the way it had been executed and go back to some core roots. Right. Uh, And I think it was sort of seeing the opportunity with fresh eyes, with um, courage to make some very bold changes that landed me the job. Hmm. Andrea, you know, those first few years at Avon, you had incredible success, um, just year after year of growth um, and a lot of really good press coverage. Um, But, you know, one of the things that that I'm really interested in, I think this will resonate with you, is that, you know, to to me, success is interesting, of course, but it's not as interesting as, as failure because that's, like, that's really when leaders kind of have to level up. Like the failure is when they learn and they become better leaders. Yes. And you also had a pretty early failure, which I think is interesting. And I want to talk about about this because you 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 launched a new product line um, at Avon pretty early on uh, called Becoming. And maybe I don't know. Maybe failure is the wrong word, but to me, it's it's not a it's not a bad thing. It's it, it, I mean, it's the fact that no, you tried something. Absolutely, it did, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so what was the idea behind it? Was was the idea to actually bring Avon into into just like brick and mortar stores? Yes. The idea of it was that the retail channel at that point was the predominant way people bought cosmetics. Um, So to be absent from that channel was, you know, if you just looked at it, a difficult thing to do. But to put Avon into that channel would be a lot of disintermediation and would be very difficult for the Avon representative. So what we were trying to do was to create a new brand, different products, different price points that wouldn't cannibalize and that would be synergistic, hmm. but allow some of our customers to trade up 
into another brand. And this was a more expensive? They were able to reach it. It was a more expensive brand, but it's not easy to be Toyota and do Lexus without changing the brand name. Right. That people who are used to buying a $3.99 lipstick are going to be hard-pressed to buy a $12 lipstick with that same brand name. Uh, And we did pick two retailers to sell the brand into. At the end of the day, the the retailers had strategy changes. It was JCPenney and Sears, neither of whom are in the the business anymore. But at that time, I think the lesson learned there was cut your losses quickly. Yeah. We just said, you know what, this isn't going to work and we can, you know, hemorrhage more money on this, but that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So every leader makes a strategic decision that doesn't make sense at some point if they're in that position long enough. I think we all do. But um, not making quick decisions to cut your losses, uh, to admit failure and move on is part of the problem. I remember Steve Jobs, one of the things he always said was, you know, fail forward. If you don't fail, you're not risking enough. Yeah. But if you make the same mistake twice, then you haven't learned from it. So many of the best successes come from learning from the failures. Yeah. I mean, you and and you could make the case about this with an experience you had. I mean, I think in the first four years of your leadership, like the stock had tripled and profits were just cranking up. And then 2004 record year and then 2005, things start to get flat. Absolutely. I mean, the business hit a wall after five years of record rocket growth. Yeah. Um, And it's a cycle. All businesses have cycles. Um, They're getting faster and faster as we speak. But reinventing it, learning to deal with how to reinvent it, you know, those are business chops, leadership chops that you'll never have if you have only seen rapid growth. There's nothing that doesn't come up against a need to reinvent. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. 
The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. So 2005 was an extraordinarily tough year. We walked into having to restructure the company and eliminate one third of all middle to senior management jobs. Painful, horrible, um, something I never want to do again, but it taught me a tremendous amount. And I I think any of us who've been through that would would say the same thing. It is a privilege and a responsibility and a headache to run a company for a decade, right? I mean, because Mm -hmm. there's never a period that long where you're not facing one issue or another. Yeah, I mean, how do you how do you cope with that from just a psychological perspective, right? You you are, um, you know, up until this point, you know, you were just crushing it. It was it was like record profits, record profits. All of a sudden, you hit this wall. You've got to restructure layoffs, and I'm assuming you're not sleeping well at night because it's stressful, and right? Yes, I think. Uh, it's a huge dose of important humility that says, listen, I have to reinvent myself. And I remember getting the advice, which was really, really pivotal for me in that moment, which was, you know, they could put somebody in in 2005 and just bring somebody in from the outside because the business is struggling. And they'd make a lot of decisions. Some of them might be really bold. Some of them might be good. They might challenge some of the status quo and the norms, which might be healthy. They also might not know where, you know, all the bodies are buried. And so they may be making huge mistakes. Mm. You know, you have the opportunity if you fire yourself on Friday and then rehire yourself on Monday as if you were a brand new CEO, but you know all that you know, can you make the difficult decisions as if you were brought in yesterday? Hmm. It really helped. Also very difficult but it allowed me to say whether it was people, whether it was strategies that I myself had put into place, you know, what needed to be killed, rethought through, re-strategized, and it allowed us to take a reinvention for another chapter. And my learnings from that is you cannot reinvent a brand or a company or a next three-year strategic plan if you don't reinvent yourself as a leader to say, listen, what I did this last year and the skills that were good and worked, they may be irrelevant next year. So I'm going to have to learn again. I love this idea of firing yourself on Friday and rehiring yourself on Monday. It's such a clear idea. I mean, would you d- literally kind of think about that in your mind? Like, okay, Andrea, you know, it's this has been a tough week or a tough month, and I have got to uh, symbolically fire myself and rehire myself and come back almost a different person. How do you do that? How do you... um... It's little and big things, Mm. Guy. Um, It's, you know what, I ran this meeting this way. We didn't make the decisions fast enough. Starting next Monday, I mean, I I have got to change the process Mm. and we're not going to go take, you know, two weeks to make those decisions or have five people have to be in between the proposer and the final sign-off. So we're going to have to actually change that. Um, so that's one. And it's all the way to this 
strategy just because we said it, just because we told Wall Street this is what we're going to do. If we need to reconsider that, we have to be bold and say, no, you know what? New CEOs come in all the time and change strategies. Yeah. And it's okay for them to do it. He or she is allowed to do that. Um, existing CEOs are going to, it's a little more, more difficult because it's something you said two months ago, two years ago. Yeah. But if it's the right thing to do, you have to do it. While, while you were the CEO, who did, did you go to to kind of check in and make sure that, you know, that you're doing it right? Like, I mean, you're running this, this Fortune 500 company. I mean, it's, it's a pressure cooker. And you are held to a different standard because you are a woman and, and an Asian woman, one of the few in, you know, out of the Fortune 500. And, and it's like most of these companies are run by old white guys. So who did you lean on during those times? I'm a big believer in having a leadership coach, I was very lucky to have several over the course of my career who were extraordinarily helpful. Um, but one of the things besides coaching me that they were able to do were to formally and informally get input from the people that worked with me, from my board. And so it was a communication stream that helped me really be very, very current on this is what you're doing well, this is what you need to work on. Uh, and all, all of us need that. And it was really a gift to be able to have that. You know, when I came into the role, I was, you know, the first woman CEO, I was the ninth CEO, but the first woman of the company, and I was young. Yeah. They always say it's lonely at the top in that corner office. And there is a great truth to that, not because you don't get to interact with people, but because there has to be truth to power. Hmm trying to create that culture where not only is that okay, but that's needed. It takes work. Communication is key and having people that you trust, often in, in a coaching role, invaluable. Yeah. You, you stepped down in 2011. This was a tough time. That year was tough for Avon. Um, the stock price had dropped significantly. Um, you remained as executive chairman for a couple of years, but when but this was your life from 1993 to 2011. This was your identity. You were the face of Avon. Um, tell me about what was going on in your head when you when you stepped down and you you stopped doing that job. Was that a hard time for you? Well, it it was completely my life. So there's no question that um, stepping down and letting another leadership team take over the company was a important, but B, you know, I think I'd be lying if I said, Oh, you know what? I walked away and it didn't yeah. hurt whatsoever. I, I mean, I, you can't possibly be authentic, care about the people, care about uh, the millions of representatives and not have it be an integral part of, you know, who you are. It's changed my life. I had actually wanted to step down after 10 years. Um, no magic to it. It's a long time. Yeah doing 40 public quarters uh, and, and earnings announcements, you know, it's, it's long. And I believe in, in refreshing and change. Um, it was a matter of making sure that succession was proper and, and, and having the right person come after me. So it didn't end up being at 10 years. So 13 years is a long time guy to yeah. run a public company. But it changed my life as it relates to Understanding the power and the passion of women's empowerment, and it clearly shaped what I'm doing now. All right. So you step down. And, um, you know, at this point, you you know, a lot of times CEOs go to join boards and they, 
do charity work and probably that was some stuff that you did. Um, did you think in your mind, all right, I got to figure out the next thing? Because you were, you know, you're still kind of at the prime of your career in, in life. Yes, I actually did. I, I also knew that I didn't want to make a precipitous decision, but I realized I wanted to do something different and ended up at Grameen after a process of deciding that I didn't want to just work for a nonprofit. I wanted to work for an NGO or a mission-based business, a social business that had the opportunity to be self-sustaining so that it could in fact scale. Uh, and when I came across Grameen, I knew that this was, um, it really fit all of the parameters that I was looking for. Hmm. It was a business model aimed at providing low-income women the opportunity to change their lives um, and to give them equal access and fair access to capital. And I so firmly believe that and had the experience of seeing that in my nearly 20 years at Avon that it was a natural passion extension, this time with not products but actual loan capital itself. And in a model that started off in Bangladesh, in the poorest country on earth. Muhammad Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner. Yeah. Muhammad Yunus, who won the Nobel Prize for essentially turning the banking system on its head. Yeah. Way back then, 40 plus years ago, if you were a woman coming in to get a loan from a bank, you were told, bring your husband yeah. back with you. Women were 100% shut out of the formal capital markets. Um, and he was a professor of economics, and he tried to, to change the system. And when he didn't get very far, he decided to actually start the bank himself. And that was the beginning of what has become a huge industry of microfinance well beyond Grameen, mostly though in the emerging and developing world. And I think what was prescient, and I had not joined the organization yet, but in 2008, if we think back to the last crisis, that is when Grameen America began here in the United States. And people were saying, who would start a non-recourse lending program to low-income women in poverty who the traditional financial system would deny? And Muhammad Yunus's belief then, as it is now, is actually this is when people needed the money the most. Hmm. So you are now in charge of Grameen America. First of all, um, tell me who is – I mean, these are these are entrepreneurs. I mean, 500,000 loans I think you've given out, um, Grameen's given out. Who's a typical person who's, who's asking for loans? Is, is it a, a sole proprietor? Is it somebody starting a small business? Tell me a little bit about, about your – Yeah, many of them are sole proprietors. Um, we do have women that start off as sole proprietors, and within a few years, they start to employ others, which is the brilliance of the model. So not only are they creating – some economic security for themselves, but they're also creating jobs, which is important. So half of them are in the service industry businesses, you know, food businesses, mm -hmm. hair salons, nail salons, cleaning businesses. And many of them actually operate um, small storefronts, sell products, and they have their own stories to tell. We have a, an extraordinary member in Queens. Her name is Maria, and she runs a tire store. Mm -hmm. And it was an auto repair store originally run by her husband, but he couldn't continue the business. So she took a loan of $1,500, just $1,500 from Grameen America. And um, not having ever run anything, she discovered her skills as a businesswoman. She actually has taken out 
over time, over $80,000 from Grameen. She has six employees and is now, has moved from being sort of the used tire lot in Queens for all the taxis and Uber drivers to one of the most successful sellers of new tires. Wow. So we've helped change her life. And, you know, there are millions of Marias around the country. And we've given out $1.5 billion in the to 130,000 in the United yeah. States. Amazing. Um, to 130,000 women and their families in 15 cities. And it has become the fastest growing microfinance organization giving entrepreneurship capital and financial training to micro entrepreneurs. We're in the midst of just multiple crises, a leadership crisis in Washington, D.C., um, a health crisis, a global health crisis, a global economic crisis, and a, a crisis um, over social justice and racial justice. And it seems to me that um, an organization like Grameen, which essentially gives microloans to small entrepreneurs who don't, who may not ordinarily find it easy to go to a bank. You know, you hear a lot of companies and businesses saying, how can I help? How can I reach out? How can we create more diverse businesses? And it seems to me that, that microloans are a, an important part of that, right? That expanding out microloans Absolutely. to small entrepreneurs is where you actually create more black-owned businesses, more Latino-owned businesses, more women-owned businesses. Absolutely. I mean, I, I am just proud that we can double down, triple down. You, you tell me how much more relevant Grameen is today than it was, you know, even coming into this moment in history, really. Uh, we were born out of bridging the inequity, the income inequality, the inability for black and brown women to have equal access to capital. We were born out of the fact that women are disproportionately um, underinvested in that $1 out of $23 before COVID-19, when the economy was good, was being given to a woman entrepreneur. Mm. Pretty unacceptable, 4%. So when you bridge that, and now you look at, obviously, the health pandemic, which has disproportionately affected families living in poverty, the economic impact on small businesses and micro businesses, and then the moment that we are in, the very necessary moment we are in, in terms of fighting for and making a change now in eliminating systemic racism and inequality. We're in that mission. We always have been. And I think that the role and the need is even greater than ever. So, you know, many, many things have to be changed. But one of the fastest ways is to give them equal access to capital and the American dream. I read that like 99% of your loans are repaid, which is pretty pretty great. So, I mean, it's, it's like it's amazing. A, yeah. Amazing. But you, you may face a, a future where it may not be that high because of the economic crisis. And that, and that may be fine, I guess. I think it's expected. I mean, you know, I, I have to say that I, what I'm stunned at is that of the new loans that we've issued, because people have wanted more money, the new loans that we've issued since April 1st, it is over 99% repayment, which is just extraordinary hmm. and inspiring. But certainly some of our members who are in some of our more distressed businesses who've been challenged with health issues themselves, for those members, we have been giving them relief, giving them a longer time to pay. Uh, we've actually stood up a fund to give assistance to those who've been affected by COVID themselves, been in the hospital. It has been heartbreaking work. Uh, you know, Guy, we've lost 35 members now hmm. um, as of this morning over the last four weeks. I do think that 
it speaks to um, the low-income predicament of multiple generations living together, no place to isolate. Uh, so even if tested, positive, very difficult. And 25% of our members have either been affected or had someone in their family impacted mm. with the disease. But we believe that if we can fund these entrepreneurs, that will be the rebuilding of America. When you think about, Andrea, your career and your, um, and your journey as a, a leader and your, your successes and failures and what you learned from those and also, you know, your opportunity to get better at what you do, do you think that you, that you had leadership skills from the beginning or that you, you actually learned how to be a leader? I think that I've learned how to be a leader. You know, I was born with certain attributes and DNA that have helped. Um, I think that I'm not really afraid. I have a lot of courage to be bold and sort of stand apart. I think I have empathy to listen and understand the point of view of others. And I'm a big believer in empathetic leadership. And, you know, hopefully people would say, you know what, she's pretty authentic. Doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with her, but, you know, there there's a different agenda. And I think when you bring those three leadership aspects, empathy, authenticity, um, and encourage into this moment, it is a foundation for leadership, strong leadership. That's Andrea Jung, president and CEO of Grameen America and former CEO and chair of Avon. By the way, when Andrea took over at Grameen America in 2014, she pledged to take a salary of zero dollars. Today, rounding out her impressive resume, Andrea also serves on the boards of Apple, General Electric, and Daimler. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary and Built It Productions. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.